Section 1 of Narrative of the Suffering and Defeat of the Northwestern Army under General Winchester. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James Carson. Narrative of the Suffering and Defeat of the Northwestern Army under General Winchester massacre of the prisoners sixteen months imprisonment of the writer and others with the indians and british by william atherton section one frankfort kentucky printed for the author by a g hodges eighteen forty two preface the greater part of this short narrative was written years ago at that time it was intended for publication but for several years past the writer had declined ever letting it come before the world and had it not been for the solicitations of friends it is highly probable this intention would never have been changed but relying upon the opinion of those whom he believed to be well qualified to judge of it and believing them to be sincere in their expression of opinion i have consented to let it go and take its chance before the public it was found difficult to give such an account of that part of the campaign which it was thought to be most important without commencing as far back as the departure of the army from kentucky this part of the history has however been passed over very rapidly perhaps rather too much so to make it at all satisfactory the writer is aware that he has omitted much which would have added to the interest of this little history but he has not leisure to go over it again history has given us an account of the sufferings of the northwestern army only in general terms but nowhere so far as i have been able to learn has there been given a particular detail of the sufferings and privations of that detachment of the army i think it proper that the rising generation should know what their fathers suffered and how they acted in the hour of danger that they sustained the double character of americans and kentuckians this narrative has been made as concise as i could conveniently make it and on that account perhaps the writer has not said all that might and that should have been said but it is hoped that what has been said will be sufficient to give the youthful reader some idea of what that spartan band were called to endure to the old men of our country these things perhaps will not be new with regard to the massacre at raisin the writer has related nothing but what he saw what is said in reference to the brave hart and hickman he witnessed with his own eyes it may be thought that i have been a little too severe in what i have said of british officers should any think so all i have to say is had they seen and felt what we did there would have been no difference of opinion by some it will be thought strange to find the savages in point of feeling and humanity placed above the british but the truth ought always to be told one thing the writer regrets and that is his being compelled so frequently to speak of himself but he found it impossible to give a full narration without it nothing is aimed at but a plain unvarnished statement of facts a sober description of scenes in the principal part of which the writer himself was an actor narrative the volunteers from kentucky under the command of colonels allen lewis and scott left their homes on the twelfth of august eighteen twelve and rendezvoused at georgetown thence took the dry ridge road to cincinnati where we remained a few days we then pursued our march through the state of ohio by the way of piqua from which place we were called to the relief of fort wayne nothing worthy of public notice occurred on the way except the alarm we had at the camp we called fighton which every soldier that was on the ground no doubt recollects though we were alarmed at piqua by one of the sentinels shooting at a horse yet we had seen nothing such as occurred here it was a dark rainy night just such a time as the indians would choose to make an attack 
we anticipated danger and made arrangements to meet it the army encamped in a hollow square within a strong breastwork and guards were placed at every point whether there were indians about or not some of the guard thought they heard them and many guns were fired on post and all the camp called to arms the line of battle was more than once formed during the night and at one time kept under arms an hour and a half as this was the first campaign with most of us and also the first alarm worthy of notice it is not easy to imagine the degree of excitement produced throughout the camp it fell to my lot to be on guard that night and at the time of the greatest alarm was on post the guard was not relieved for near an hour after their time had expired an attack being momently expected when we arrived at fort wayne we found that the indians which had annoyed the fort for some time had retreated we were then ordered to march to two indian towns for the purpose of burning the houses and destroying their corn when we had accomplished this and returned to fort wayne we there met the kentucky mounted volunteers under the command of colonel simrall we marched from fort wayne on the twenty second of september and pursued wayne's route down the miami towards old fort defiance where we arrived on the thirtieth during the latter part of this march we were frequently annoyed by the enemy our advance party of spies fell in with a body of indians and a small skirmish ensued in which one of the spies was slightly wounded and several of the enemy killed the exact number could not be ascertained as the indians always carry off their dead when practicable the day before ensign liggett of the regulars with four men was pursued by this body of indians massacred and scalped the loss of ensign liggett was much lamented as he was a promising young officer remarkable for bravery and intrepidity he had left the company of spies with his four companions to examine the country around fort defiance and had advanced several miles ahead of the party where they were killed many of ensign liggett's friends are still living in kentucky the annoyance from the enemy greatly retarded our movements as it was impossible with any degree of certainty to ascertain either their situation or force in crossing the river however their whole movements were discovered the british with their artillery from detroit and a large party of indians were progressing towards fort wayne after engaging our spies and annoying our advanced guard they faced to the right about and retreated precipitately owing to the situation of the army being short of provisions it was impossible by forced marches to intercept them at this time captain bland ballard showed his skill in indian fighting by making good his retreat for which he deserves much his lieutenant monday who had parted with him in the morning also effected a retreat by charging upon the indians before they ascertained his numbers and then dashing into camp the next day our spies had an action had one wounded and saw several indians fall the day following the indians showed in front of the spies and snapped at one of our men a fire was returned which left blood where the indians stood the indian spies were on horseback which rendered it difficult to ascertain their situation our spies could not with propriety venture far from us and we could not advance until the country was reconnoitred consequently our march was slow a short turn to the right however in crossing the river at an unexpected place gave us the advantage after crossing the river we saw that the enemy had artillery and were ahead of us we were now within six miles of defiance it was very bushy for more than a mile before we approached the fort the army remained at camp that morning and sent out spies in every direction when they returned they reported that the enemy had gone off down the river it was then deemed inexpedient to move so late in the afternoon it was supposed 
there were from one to two hundred british with from two to five pieces of cannon and from four to six hundred indians the artillery was certainly brought up by water to this place and re-embarked here again their object must have been fort wayne by this time we became very scarce of provisions having nothing for some days but the poorest beef some of the men began to murmur and some went so far as to talk of returning home but when this was known by the officers measures were taken to put a stop to it colonel allen in an animated and encouraging address to his men banished the idea of shrinking in the day of adversity captain simpson also was not unemployed this was the first time we had sensibly felt the want of bread general harrison returned to the army on the second of october we were greatly animated at seeing him among us once more he addressed the whole army in a most thrilling speech which kindled in the breasts of the men generally an increased desire to meet the enemy and a willingness to endure any privations they might be called to suffer he remained with us but a short time the enemy having retreated before us in every direction leaving us an extensive territory to occupy our object then was to establish a chain of fortified posts in order to facilitate the supplies necessary for a speedy invasion of upper canada notwithstanding we were in the enemy's country where indian spies were seen almost every day yet it was impossible to keep the men from imprudently hazarding their lives shortly after our arrival at fort defiance five of our men who had been out gathering plums were found scalped about this time captain garrard's troop of horse and another company met a scouting party of indians and routed them one of our militia was killed and another wounded in consequence of this information general harrison marched the whole of his army from st mary's to defiance general harrison had heard from general kelso who commanded a detachment of troops on lake erie that two thousand indians and some regulars with several pieces of artillery had left malden on an expedition against fort wayne this news with other exaggerated accounts induced the belief that general winchester was likely to be defeated as before stated all forces at st mary's were put in motion but before they reached defiance information of the enemy's retreat was received before general harrison left defiance he selected a situation for a new fort a party of men was detailed to procure timber for the buildings general winchester also moved his camp from the miami to the Auglaize river the command of the left was now confided to general winchester who was instructed to occupy the rapids as soon as possible for the purpose of securing a quantity of corn which had been raised by the inhabitants before general harrison left he ordered general tupper to take all his mounted men and proceed down the miami as far as the rapids when this order was issued general tupper's command was immediately supplied with provision for eight days which included all the flour in the camp about twelve o'clock next day a party of indians fired on the men immediately on the opposite bank of the miami one of whom they killed scalped and then fled this for a moment produced alarm and the troops were formed in order of battle presently small parties of horsemen began to cross the river in pursuit of the enemy the horses were mostly at grass and as soon as they could be caught the owners engaged in the pursuit eight or ten parties went mostly from colonel simrall's regiment in one of which was the colonel himself general tupper ordered that no one should cross apprehending from the boldness of the indians that a large body might be lying in ambush general winchester now ordered tupper to commence his expedition towards the rapids by pursuing these indians 
Tupper had previously sent Logan and six other Indians to reconnoitre, and did not seem willing to go until they returned. They arrived in the evening, stating that they had seen a party of Indians, about fifty strong, ten miles down the river. Colonel Allen now offered his services to accompany Tupper to the rapids in any station he thought proper to place him, from a private soldier upwards. He accepted his offer, and caused him to be announced as his aide. General Winchester issued positive orders that General Tupper should proceed, but he declined, saying he would prefer going by the Ottaway towns, etc. At this time about three hundred of the mounted riflemen, whose terms of service had expired, left the camp and returned home. Colonel Simrall, believing that the orders of General Winchester to General Tupper would not be executed, returned to the settlements to recruit his horses and be in readiness to march when his services should be necessary. It will be sufficient to say this expedition at this time failed. After the mounted men left us, nothing of importance occurred for some time. We were engaged building the fort, which, through much difficulty, was at length completed. This will appear when it is known that at that place we had not our full rations. That this fact may be established, I will give some extracts from a letter written at the time by James Garrard, Brigade Inspector. We have not, says he, drawn a full ration since the 8th of September, sometimes without beef, at other times without flour, and the worst of all, entirely without salt, which has been much against the health of the men. They bear it with much patience, although they have been without salt for five or six days. At this time the sick amounted to 216 men, and there was some dissatisfaction in the army against the government because the necessary supplies were not sent on. But when they became acquainted with the true cause of the deficiency that the fault was not in the government, but in the change of affairs since their march, they were perfectly satisfied. Again Mr. Garrod states, You would be surprised to see the men appear on the brigade parade, some without shoes others without socks, blankets, etc. All the clothes they have are linen, but they discharge their duty with cheerfulness, hoping that their country will supply their wants before the severity of winter comes on. There are many who can testify to the truth of the above. What clothes we took with us when we left our homes had worn very thin. Many left home with their linen hunting shirts, and some of these were literally torn to rags by the brush. We had heard that General Harrison had made a powerful appeal to the ladies of Kentucky and Ohio, and we were sure it would not be in vain. And about this time we learned that the ladies of Kentucky were exerting themselves to relieve the soldiers of this army. It was highly gratifying to us to know that we were kept in remembrance by the ladies of our own state. Near this time our spies brought in a prisoner that took him about thirty miles below Fort Winchester. He called himself William Walker, had been with the Indians near thirty years, and was married to a Wyandot squaw. He said at that time he lived at Detroit. He was recognized by several in camp, and two men said when Detroit was taken under General Hull, he was painted like an Indian, and was seen out of the fort, but they did not recollect any act of hostility on his part. His story was that he persuaded the Indians to abandon the British, that in the end we would ruin them, etc., that for this he was put into the guardhouse at Detroit, and told his conduct was criminal, and consequently would be sent where he would be kept safely that he made his escape from the guardhouse, lay concealed a few days until he was ready, and then started to join us. The general belief was he came as a spy. He seemed intimately acquainted with the Indian movements, but the officers were afraid to place any reliance upon his statements. 
He gave us a description of the force we met near Defiance on their way to Fort Wayne. He estimated their number at about 900 Indians and British altogether, with two brass field pieces. That the afternoon on which we crossed the Miami, they were at Fort Defiance, which was only six miles from where we crossed the river, and that they started early next morning towards the rapids. From him we learned that McCoy of Georgetown, whom we supposed was murdered, had been taken prisoner. Upon being asked if any prisoners had been taken, he replied one, a quartermaster sergeant. McCoy filled that place. We now began preparations to march towards the rapids, having completed a new and beautiful fort situated near the old one, which, like its brave progenitor, had fallen before the irresistible hand of time. We crossed the Miami, and camped a few miles below Defiance. During the time of our encampment, we were called to witness a very solemn transaction. A young man was found sleeping on post. He was arraigned and sentenced to be shot. When the time appointed for his execution arrived, the army was paraded, the prisoner was brought to the spot, a bandage placed over his eyes, and directed to prepare to meet death. A platoon was ordered to take their stand a few paces in front of the lines, ready to fire when the word should be given. A deep silence now reigned throughout the army. Every eye was fixed upon the criminal, standing upon his knees, blindfolded. The officer commanding the platoon, waiting to hear and give the word which would hurry a fellow-soldier into eternity. During this moment of suspense, a messenger came from the general bearing a reprieve. The circumstance made a deep impression upon the whole army. It was found necessary also to make an example of one who had deserted. His sentence was to ride the wooden horse which was made by bending a sapling until the top reached the ground. This he did in the presence of the whole army. Very few Indians were seen or heard of for some weeks, neither had any mischief been done, though the men were very careless and would hunt game and fruit far and near often strolling miles from the camp without guns. The ground on this side of the river, where we first encamped, being disagreeable, we marched a few miles down the river, remained a short time, and then removed to what is called Camp Number 3. There we had a beautiful situation and an abundance of fine timber. Although the enemy had now retreated and left us in possession of the territory, we were still called to contend with the severe weather, which not only prevented the necessary supply of provisions from reaching us, but in our thinly clad condition became very oppressive. We knew that efforts were making to supply us with clothes and rations, but the roads were almost impassable. About the first of November the men became very sickly. The typhus fever raged with violence, three or four would sometimes die in a day. It is said upwards of three hundred was on the sick list at one time. Towards the latter part of November, or first of December, the rain fell in torrents. We were ordered to build huts, for to advance at that time appeared impossible. Many were so entirely destitute of shoes and other clothing that had they been compelled to march any distance, they must have frozen. What we suffered at defiance was but the beginning of affliction. We now saw nothing but hunger and cold and nakedness staring us in the face. At one time for several days we scarcely had anything to eat but some poor beef. I have seen the butchers go to a beef and kill it when lying down and could not get out of the way. This kind of beef and hickory roots was our principal subsistence for a length of time. When we had been here a few weeks and the ground became covered with snow and we no longer apprehended danger from the enemy, we were permitted to hunt. 
this we did to some extent but in a short time there was not a squirrel to be found near the encampment during our stay at camp number three a detachment was sent down the river to assist general tupper i was one of the number called out for that expedition and a hard and fruitless one it was colonel lewis commanded we marched until about nine o'clock at night colonel c s todd with some others was sent on to tupper's encampment to make some discoveries and when they arrived at the spot they found that tupper had retreated and one of his men left dead in the camp this information was brought to colonel lewis and after a council with his officers he considered it prudent to return he thought if it were necessary for tupper with six hundred and fifty men to retreat and the river too between him and the enemy he could not be justified in meeting it on the same side with three hundred eighty it was stated but i would not vouch for the truth of it that he left the rapids a few hours after he sent the express to our camp without notifying our detachment at all early next morning we commenced our retreat but from the fatigues of the previous day and want of rest that night for we had no fire the most of us were unable to reach the army that day but were obliged to camp about five miles below this was a night of keen suspense to myself and no doubt many others we had grounds to believe the indians would pursue us with perhaps double our number and surprise us in the night but we reached the camp in safety next morning our indian spies made frequent excursions in different directions but their reports were not generally satisfactory logan one of the finest looking indians i ever saw was one of them perhaps the only honest man among them finding that they were suspected either of cowardice or treachery determined on another expedition to the rapids but before leaving expressed his grief at the stain cast upon his character declaring at the same time that something should be done before his return that should convince all concerned of his bravery and friendship to the government of the united states old captain john and lightfoot if i mistake not accompanied him they had not reached the rapids before they fell in with the spies of the british a company of indians superior to their own commanded by a young british officer they managed the affair with great dexterity logan who was a man of great presence of mind finding upon first sight of the enemy a retreat to be impracticable instantly proposed to his comrades to approach them in the character of friends and report themselves as deserters from camp three though they had but a very few moments yet logan fixed upon the signal and concerted the plan of escape they met logan made his statement which was received cautiously but so far as to prevent immediate hostilities they were permitted to keep their arms but ordered to march in front a plain indication that they were suspected as the object of this band of british spies was to gain information in reference to the army at camp three they considered their object accomplished and therefore returned from this place a conversation soon commenced respecting the condition number and intentions of the army etc etc during which time logan and his two companions were watching their opportunity to make the attack although they doubled their number yet they determined to rescue themselves or die the signal was given and each man brought his man to the ground this left their power about equal the enemy fled a little distance and opened a fire upon them which they returned with the arms of those they had shot but finding a retreat now practicable logan ordered it but in mounting one of the horses of the enemy received a ball in his breast which ranged down to the small of his back but notwithstanding succeeded in reaching the camp that night a distance of about thirty miles old captain john would not leave the spot until he had taken a scalp which he brought to camp with him 
every effort was made by the physicians to save the life of this brave and daring man but all in vain i saw him a few hours before his death he died like a soldier but before his death was heard to say i suppose this will be taken as evidence of my bravery and i shall be no longer suspected as a traitor his death was greatly lamented and his loss severely felt and the circumstances taken altogether rendered the case exceedingly affecting especially to some of the officers one of the most extraordinary characters in all the army was an old man by the name of ruddle who acted as a spy this man made many excursions alone and would remain for several days together almost in the heart of the enemy and perhaps advanced farther to discover the movements of the british and indians than even our indian spies during the stay at camp three the most of the information that could be relied upon respecting the supplies which it was expected we should find in the fields at the rapids came through ruddle such dauntless courage is not often found to look at him you would think him touched off a little with the potawatomi he was well acquainted with the indian mode of warfare and if i mistake not had once been a prisoner among them soon after this the river was frozen so as to bear us across this enlarged our hunting ground for now we were suffering greatly for provisions at one time for eleven days we had nothing but pork just killed without salt these privations were submitted to with astonishing patience there was scarcely a whisper or a murmur in all the camp which manifested a patriotism worthy the cause in which they were engaged on the twenty second of december we were informed by general order that we should have flour that day and that the prospect was fair for a constant supply the twenty fourth was the period set for our stay at camp number three which was pleasing intelligence to the whole army on the twenty fifth at sunrise we were commanded to march to the rapids being the vanguard of the northwestern army general harrison instructed us to make a stand there until we should be joined by the northwestern army for some time previous we had been engaged in making sleds to all our baggage some of which had been drawn by the soldiers themselves a more pleasant and expeditious march than this had been anticipated for after much fatigue and labor a great number of canoes had been made with which we expected our baggage would be taken with great ease and safety down the river but to our great disappointment before we could make preparations or before our provisions reached us without which we could not move cold weather set in and closed up the river this circumstance at first seemed to present an obstacle insurmountable many of the men were sick and that sickness occasioned by being compelled to eat fresh pork without bread or salt and from being exposed to cold and wet but this was not the only difficulty many who had not been so provident perhaps as the case required were bare of clothes and almost barefooted and were ill-prepared to undertake such a march through the snow thus ill-clad worn down by fatigue and starvation and chilled by the cold wintry blasts of the north Cook-click, we were compelled to brave there was no alternative our condition made it necessary for us to fall upon some other plan to reach the rapids where we expected to meet supplies under the impulse of this hope we went to work and made sleds sufficient to carry the baggage but as these were not sufficient to take the sick many of them had to be left behind on the twenty-fifth as above stated we bid adieu to this memorable place camp number three where lie the bones of many a brave man this place will live in the recollection of all who suffered there and for more reasons than one there comes up before the mind that many times the dead march was heard in the camp 
in the solemn procession that carried our fellow-sufferers to the grave. The many times we were almost on the point of starvation, and the many sickening disappointments which were experienced by the army from day to day and from week to week by the failure of promised supplies, which were daily expected, and also that here we parted with the sick, some of whom we were to see no more. Thus poorly equipped, deeply affected, and yet overjoyed, we took up the line of march. The reader may ask how such a number of sleds could be drawn, seeing there was not a supply of horses. Some of them were drawn by the men themselves. Five men were hitched to a sleigh, and, through snow and water, dragged them on at the rate of about ten miles a day but to our great disadvantage during our march there was an immense fall of snow it seemed that the very elements fought against us but notwithstanding all we moved slowly on towards the destined point what the men suffered by day was comparatively nothing to what they experienced by night the reader can form but a faint idea unless he had been on the spot and had seen and felt what we saw and felt some time was required to arrange the encampment during which time the men were compelled to keep their places in the lines and thus become so chilled as to be almost unfit for the necessary exertion of preparing a resting place for themselves the snow which was about knee-deep had first to be cleared away then fire to be struck with flint and steel and when no lin bark could be had brush was substituted in its place which formed our bed hard and uncomfortable as it was yet such was our fatigue that we generally slept soundly to give a detailed account of individual suffering during this march from camp number three to the rapids would swell this sketch beyond its intended limits and perhaps facts would be related which the present generation who have but little knowledge of these things only from report would scarcely believe our little vehicles being made upon a small scale were too light to carry the burden put upon them and not sufficiently high to cross the little streams which lay in our way consequently much damage was done to our baggage and our provisions which were barely sufficient to last us to the rapids was much injured by getting wet this it will be plainly seen was well calculated to increase our sufferings in fact the half of what was endured on this slow and painful march has never yet been published to the world and perhaps never will while on our march general winchester received another dispatch from the commander-in-chief recommending him to abandon the movement towards the rapids and fall back with the greater part of his force to fort jennings this advice was given in consequence of some intelligence received from colonel campbell at missiniway respecting the force of tecumseh on the wabash general harrison was apprehensive if the left wing advanced so far as the rapids tecumseh would be able to attack and destroy all the provisions in the rear winchester had already commenced his march and did not wish to discontinue and return at length on the tenth of january we arrived at the rapids general winchester had previously sent forward a detachment of six hundred and seventy men under general payne to attack a body of indians which general harrison had been informed was lying in an old fortification at swan creek a few miles farther down the river after passing several miles below the old fort and discovering no appearance of indians the whole returned to the position which the army intended to occupy about this time the clothes which were sent by the patriotic sons and daughters of kentucky began to reach the army the gratitude of the troops generally was beyond expression some had withstood the keen blasts of that cold northern country until some time in january with linen 
hunting shirts and pantaloons and many almost without either shoes or socks general payne in a letter to governor shelby in which he expresses his gratitude as well as that of the troops says as an earnest of her disposition to aid the national government kentucky at an early period with the characteristic ardor sent forth more than her quota required by the government and whilst a spark of genuine feeling animates the breasts of her volunteers in the northwestern army they can never cease to feel a lively gratitude for the further earnest of her anxiety for the cause manifested in the late abundant supply of clothing it certainly was a source of heartfelt satisfaction to express a proper sense of the obligation under which the patriotism of the sons of kentucky had placed her volunteers but the pleasure was greatly heightened when we reflected that to the daughters of kentucky we were mostly indebted for imperious supplies to meet the blasts of a northern winter i hope it is not still too late though many who engaged in that laudable work have gone from this scene of war and bloodshed for me to express my unfeigned gratitude to the daughters of my native state for the blessings bestowed on me as an individual and as i have never had an opportunity before to express myself permit me further to say that these favors while i possess a spark of feeling shall never cease to produce a lively sense of gratitude help in real need is not forgotten on the day of our arrival a recent indian camp was discovered about one half mile from us captain williams was immediately dispatched with twenty-five men to pursue the indians he very soon overtook and routed them a few shots were exchanged by which some on both sides were wounded a large storehouse was immediately commenced for the purpose of securing the provisions and baggage we found a quantity of corn in the fields which was soon gathered and before any machinery was prepared to pound and sift it a quantity was boiled whole and eaten without even salt but we quickly arranged to have it made into hominy and after the hogs came we fared well upon hog and hominy you may judge of our relish for our food when i tell you that one of our company whose name i will not give ate so much corn that he appeared to be actually foundered and unable to walk for more than a week on the evening of the thirteenth two frenchmen arrived from the river raisin with information that the indians routed by captain williams had passed that place on their way to malden carrying with them intelligence of our advance they said the indians had threatened to kill their inhabitants and burn their town and begged for protection from the american arms they were charged with a dispatch from mr day a citizen who was friendly to our cause and who stated that the british were seizing all suspected persons at the river raisin and confining them at malden prison and were preparing to carry off all provisions of every description on the fourteenth another messenger arrived and on the sixteenth two more came in they all confirmed the news brought by the first and solicited protection as they were afraid the people would be massacred and the town burned by the indians whenever our army should advance upon them they stated the present force of the enemy to be two companies of canadians and about two hundred indians but that more indians might be expected to assemble the greatest anxiety now prevailed in our army to advance in force sufficient to defeat the enemy at that place a council of officers was called by the general a majority of whom were decidedly in favor of sending a strong detachment colonel allen supported that side of the question with ardor on the morning of the seventeenth colonel lewis with five hundred and fifty men took up their line of march for the river raisin the same day colonel allen followed with one hundred and ten more who came up with lewis late in the evening where he was encamped at 
Presque Isle. Early on the morning of the same day, General Winchester prepared a dispatch to inform General Harrison of this movement. He stated that his principal object was to prevent the flour and grain from being carried off by the enemy, that if he got possession of Frenchtown he intended to hold it, and that a cooperating reinforcement from the right wing might be necessary. Before the express had started with this letter, information was received from Colonel Lewis at Presque Isle, a distance of twenty miles in advance, that there were four hundred Indian at the River Raisin, and that Colonel Elliot was expected from Malden with a detachment to attack the camp at the Rapids. Colonel Lewis set out very early next morning, intending, if possible, to anticipate Colonel Elliot at Frenchtown. That village lies midway between Presque Island and Malden, the distance to each being eighteen miles. The most of our march was on the ice on Miami Bay and the borders of Lake Erie. When we had arrived within a few miles of the River Raisin, we were discovered by some Indians, who hastened to give the alarm to the main body of the enemy. Before we left the border of the lake, a halt was called to take some refreshment. Having resumed our march, a piece of timbered land was passed through, and as the troops proceeded in the open plain they were formed into three lines, each corps being in the proper place for action. The right was commanded by Colonel Allen, and was composed of the companies of Captain McCracken, Bledsoe, and Matson. I was in Captain Bledsoe's company during this expedition. The left wing was commanded by Major Graves, and was composed of the companies of Hamilton, Williams, and Kelly. The centre consisted of the companies of Hightower, Collier, and Sabri, and was commanded by Major Madison. The advance guard consisted of the companies of Captains Hickman, Graves, and Jones, under the command of Captain Ballard, acting as Major. When we arrived within a quarter of a mile of the village, and discovered the enemy in motion, the line of battle was formed, expecting an immediate attack. But it was soon perceived that the enemy did not intend to risk a combat in the open field. The detachment broke off by the right of companies, and marched under the fire of the enemy's cannon until we arrived at the river. We succeeded well in crossing though the ice in many places was very slippery. Having crossed instantly, the long roll was beat, the signal for a general charge. Majors Graves and Madison were ordered to possess themselves of the houses and picketing, about which the enemy had collected, and where they had placed their cannon. This order was promptly executed, and both battalions advanced under an incessant shower of bullets. Neither the picketing nor fencing over which they passed retarded their progress or success, for the enemy in that quarter was dislodged. Meantime, Colonel Allen fell in with them a considerable distance to the right, when, after pursuing them to the woods, they made a stand with their howitzer and small arms, covered by a chain of enclosed lots and a group of houses, having in their rear a thick, brushy, wood filled with fallen timber orders were now given through major garrod to majors graves and madison to possess themselves of the woods on the left and move up towards the main body of the enemy as fast as practicable and divert their attention from colonel allen at the moment the fire commenced with the battalions the right wing advanced and the enemy was soon driven from the fencing and houses and our troops began to enter the woods in close pursuit. The fight now became very close, and extremely hot on the right wing, the enemy concentrating the chief of their forces of both kinds to force the lines, but still kept moving in a retreat, although slowly, for we were much exhausted. The joint exertions of Graves, Madison, and Allen were successful in completely routing the enemy. The distance they retreated before us 
was not less than two miles, and every foot of the way under charge. The battle lasted from three o'clock until dark. The detachment was then drawn off in good order, and encamped upon the ground the enemy first occupied. About the going down of the sun, I received a wound in my right shoulder. A moment before I received the shot, I saw John Locke and Joseph Simpson advancing together some distance to the left and ahead of the main body. One was killed and the other wounded not far from the spot where I last saw them. The gallant conduct, says Colonel Lewis, of Colonel Allen during every charge of this warmly contested action has raised for him no ordinary military merit. Majors Graves and Madison deserve high praise for their undeviating attention to orders, and the energy and dispatch with which they executed them. Captain Bland B. Ballard also led the van with great skill and bravery. He further says, I take this opportunity of tendering my most hearty thanks to Brigadier Major Garrod, Captain Smith, and Adjutant McCullough, who acted as my aides, for the great support they gave me during the whole of the action. The company officers acted with great bravery. The colonel closes by saying, Both officers and soldiers supported the double character of Americans and Kentuckians. It was impossible for us to ascertain the exact force of the enemy, but from the best information there were about one hundred British and four hundred Indians. It was said Major Reynolds was present and commanded the whole. Their number killed we could not ascertain, and perhaps it is unknown to the Americans until the present time. From the number found on the field where the battle commenced, and from the blood and trails where they had dragged off their dead and wounded, the slaughter must have been considerable. One Indian and two Canadian militia were taken prisoners. So steady and composed were our men in the assaults, that while the enemy were killed or driven from their houses, not a woman or child was injured. Our loss was twelve killed and fifty-five wounded. Joseph Simpson was the only man belonging to Captain Simpson's company that was killed in the first engagement. Very few of our men were killed or wounded until we reached the woods. Here we fought under great disadvantages, not being acquainted with the ground, and most of us being unacquainted with the Indian mode of warfare. Thus our want of experience and eagerness to overtake the enemy gave them a decided advantage over us. Their method was to retreat rapidly until they were out of sight, which was soon the case in the brushy woods, and while we were advancing they were preparing to give us another fire, so we were generally under the necessity of firing upon them as they were retreating. During the charge I saw several of our brave boys lying upon the snow, wallowing in the agonies of death but none could stop even to help his brother, for our situation required the utmost exertion of every man as long as he could render any service. It was some time after dark before we reached the place from which we drove the enemy, where we encamped for the night, and where we were accommodated with all the necessaries of life and every attention which our situation required. I cannot but speak a word in favor of our physicians. Too much cannot be said in their praise for the prompt attention which they gave on that occasion. Though it was late before the houses were prepared and other arrangements made for the accommodation of the wounded, yet every man had his wounds dressed before the surgeons took any rest. Their memory deserves to be perpetuated. Immediately after the battle, an express was sent to convey the news of our success to General Winchester, at whose camp he arrived before daylight, and from that place another was sent to communicate the intelligence to General Harrison. Colonel Lewis was determined, if possible, to hold the place until a reinforcement could be sent in. We knew our situation was very critical, being only eighteen miles from Malden, 
yet it appeared to make scarcely any impression upon our minds so long had we been in the region of the enemy and so much had we suffered from cold hunger and fatigue the fare was now so different to what we had been accustomed since we left the settlement in ohio and some of the troops were so much elated with having driven the enemy from their fortifications and having taken possession of their provisions etc that we almost seemed to forget that we had an enemy in the world on the evening of the nineteenth general winchester left the rapids with two hundred and fifty men which were all that could be spared from that post he reached us on the night of the twentieth and encamped in an open lot on the right of the former detachment colonel lewis had encamped in a place where he was defended by garden pickets which were sufficient to defend from an attack of small arms colonel wells commanded the reinforcement and to him the general named but did not positively command a breastwork for the protection of his camp the general himself established his quarters in a house upon the south side of the river about three hundred yards from the camp on the twenty first a place was selected for the whole detachment to encamp in good order with a determination to fortify the next day about sunset colonel somebody solicited and obtained leave to return to the rapids on this day certain information was obtained that the british were preparing for an attack and that we might look for it in a very short time a frenchman came from malden with information that a large force of british and indians which he supposed would number near three thousand were about to march from that place shortly after he left it but even this was not credited or if believed was little regarded by many of the troops the most of the men acted as though they knew themselves to be perfectly secure some wandering about the town until a late hour at night for myself i can say i felt little dread though i had reason to believe that our situation was very perilous i slept soundly until awaked by the startling cry of to arms to arms and the thundering of cannon and roar of small arms and the more terrific yelling of savages major madison and colonel lewis together with most of the officers had cautioned their men to be on their guard and be prepared for an attack guards as usual were placed out but as it was extremely cold no picket guard was placed upon the road by which the enemy was expected to advance at daybreak on the morning of the twenty second just as the drum began to beat three guns were fired by the sentinels in an instant the men were at their posts the british now began to open a heavy fire of cannon and small arms they appeared mostly to direct their cannon to the house which contained the ammunition and where the wounded officers lay every circumstance attending this awful scene conspired to make it more alarming the time and manner in which it was commenced for they approached in the dark with profound silence not a breath was heard until all was ready then sudden as a flash of powder the bloody work began the first thing that presented itself to my sight after waking out of sleep and going to the window was the fiery tail of a bombshell and these came in quick succession just at this moment the fire of small arms from both sides began for a considerable time it was one continued roar but i could nevertheless distinguish between the enemy guns and our own the british regulars approached immediately in front of colonel lewis's detachment but did not long remain within the reach of small arms for a well-directed fire from the pickets soon repulsed them with the loss of a number of their soldiers whom they left upon the field they would not have approached so near if they had known precisely our situation they told me whilst i was at detroit that they thought we were encamped in the open field outside of the garden pickets but as soon as it was light and they discovered their mistake they retreated 
the yelling of the indians appeared to be mostly on the right though some was heard upon the left but none in the centre the reinforcement which had arrived with general winchester and which was unprotected by any breastwork after maintaining the conflict for a short time was overpowered and fell back just at this time general winchester came up and ordered the retreating troops to rally and form behind the second bank of the river and inclining towards the centre take refuge behind the picketing these orders were probably not heard and being hard pressed both by the british and indians in front and on their right flank they were completely thrown into confusion and retreated in disorder over the river a detachment which was sent from the pickets to reinforce the right wing and a few others who supposed the whole army was ordered to retreat joined in its flight those brave men colonels allen and lewis both followed hoping to assist in rallying the troops an attempt was made to rally them on the south side of the river behind the houses and garden pickets but all in vain the indians had taken possession of the woods behind them and thus completely cut off their retreat and no alternative now remained but to stand and fight a superior force which was every moment accumulating and which had every advantage or to retreat to better ground in their dismay and confusion they attempted to pass a narrow lane the indians were on both sides and shot them in every direction a large party which had gained the woods on the right were surrounded and massacred without distinction end of section one